Welcome to episode 4 of Pop Law, Stories of Singapore Pop, a seven-part series. I'm David Pandarakanu, a programmer at Esplanade, Singapore's National Performing Arts Centre. And in this episode, I'll be telling you about Singapore's Indian pop with a focus on the Tamil music scene. At this midway point in a series that's all about music, you may be struck by just how much we have talked about the movies. In earlier episodes, you heard about how Chinese movies showcased some of Singapore's earliest pop stars, how Malay movies featured new genres like pop ye ye, and how movie theatres in Singapore were also performance venues for many local bands. The silver screen is even more important to Singapore's Indian pop, which is very much influenced by the movies of India. So, let's set the stage for this story by getting acquainted with the uniquely musical nature of Indian cinema. Almost every commercial Indian film, across all genres, features five to eight song sequences. These are usually sung by playback singers who are often well-known to the public and in some cases even more famous than the actors lip-syncing on screen to their voices. In the Indian movie industry, the music director for a film is so important that his name sometimes appears on the marquee alongside the movie stars. The most influential music directors of each era are the people who shape the musical memories of a whole generation. The distinctive way Indian films use music has been called this industry's crowning achievement. And this movie songs are very pervasive. They are effectively the pop songs of the Indian subcontinent and their reach extends to all corners of the world where the South Asian diaspora can be found, including Singapore. How exactly did this way of movie making come about? Singer-songwriter Shabir has some answers. Based on what I've studied so far, I believe that having songs in a story, it comes from the whole culture of like stage dramas back in the day, even before film technology was invented. People used to go watch these plays, like these musicals, you know, whether it's a story of uh, Ramayana or Mahabharata, all your epics, or any kind of play, stage play, they always told these stories through songs. And this whole thing of having musicals, it's, it's an intrinsic part of Indian culture, not just in South, but also in North. So when the film companies wanted to make films in India, generally it was run by the British and the people from the West. When they came in and they wanted to produce films and they worked with like the local talents there, they understood that films should have songs. And because they were kind of continuing the culture of the stage plays on films. And the audience got to experience what they experience on stage, live, in person, in theatres. So it was like a process of continuation, but all the excitement and the presentation is now augmented because of film. So it's very much a cultural, uh, and then after that, this was commercially proven to be very successful. I mean, when something has that much power and so much of a commercial, social viability, and it penetrates the hearts and minds of people, I don't think it's going to be like removed that quickly just because, you know, the other parts of the world, it's not the trend. So it stayed on because it proved to be extremely powerful. And it still continues to stay on in films till today. But the thing is now it's changing, it's separating. Like songs are 
now being created outside films and there are many, many films which have gone on to be successful in the box office that does not have a single song. It's changing for sure and it's changing quite rapidly. Why are things changing? And why might some music makers welcome that change? Well, we should start by pointing out that Indian movie music is very dynamic. For instance, in the late 1960s, the Beatles began their love affair with classical Indian music. The fascination was mutual and Indian movie music soon transformed. Musician Mohammad Rafi elaborates. Before the 60s or 50s, it was very traditional. The traditional Indian music was very guzzle-based, Carnatic-based. But after the 60s, there was an explosion. Just like there was an explosion elsewhere in the world, the pop thing became very evident in India. As you heard in earlier episodes, this same British rock and roll sound entranced many different music streams in 1960s Singapore. And that included local Indian pop. In those days, many Indian musicians here were part of bands known as music parties. Some players from this scene branched out to form a group called the Van Cleef Rhythm Boys, which paid homage to Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Singer Christina Edmund, whose father Edmund Apau founded the well-known Singapore Indians Music Party, sang on two Tamil records featuring original songs that also likely had some degree of British influence. But, by and large, Audiences here who listened to Indian music absorbed Western pop and other trending genres through film songs. When the music parties played at weddings and social gatherings in Singapore, they tried to replicate the orchestral arrangements of Indian movie songs with their smaller band setup. Rafi's father, who was a musician in India before he settled down in Singapore, played in a music party named Jeevan's. Accompanying my father, as young as I was five years old, six years old, it was like he'll bring me to all the shows and I'd sit down and watch them play all the songs. It's really huge events those days. And most of the parties are held on like open ground under uh, tentages and, uh, you know, I can say huge crowds. And the band was a very important thing for every weddings and parties. Most of the band musicians, they're not full-time. They work in the daytime and they meet up on the weekends to rehearse. And uh, weekends are all spent practicing songs and picking up new songs and all the latest songs. And whatever there are hits in Chennai or in Bombay, uh, those were the songs that were played. Movie songs remained just as popular in the 1970s. Singer V. Suryamurthy, who was a teenager then, remembers performing film songs when he took part in school competitions and when he performed on radio and TV. Then we have two uh, <laughs> icons who are playback singers in the movies, namely um, Mr. J. Sudas. Another icon is S.P. Bala Supramaniam. So these are the two iconic singers we have, and we would like to imitate them. We were in the era known as music director known as um, M.S. Viswanathan. Then we have another era called uh, director as... Um, Ilaya Raja. Ilaya Raja, he's known as, actually as a maestro in music. And um, when he came into the scene, the, the, the music took a great change. And there's many instruments playing the same melody. It's not just one or two. It sounds very different. This is a Western uh, thinking which he had input in his music. So that changed the music world of uh, Indian movies then, during his era. 
in the 1970s, 80s. All the songs were so beautiful. In 1985, Surya Murthy won a singing competition performing a film song made famous by S.P. Balasubramaniam. One of the judges for that competition was Gangli Amarin, the younger brother of music director Ilay Raja. After the competition, in fact, the judge invited me to India to see if I can sing in India. So he introduced me to his brother Ilay Raja. But they told me to stay put there for at least six months to polish up and then they will give me an opportunity to sing in India, the movies. But I was newly married and I was secured here as a technician in Singapore and I thought I don't want to take the risk. What happens if I don't make it? Instead, he decided to continue performing part-time in Singapore and later became a lawyer. Today, he still stays in touch with music and has no regrets about not pursuing a career in India. Rafi, on the other hand, chose a different path. He had started playing music at a very young age. By the time he was 10, his father had arranged for him to join the Singapore Indians Music Party so Rafi could learn from this band's top-notch musicians. He also exposed Rafi and his brothers Mohammad Bashir and Mohammad Noor to many different kinds of music within and beyond Singapore. In 1975, when Rafi formed the band The Vasantam Boys with his brothers and some friends, they added their love for funk and Motown to this eclectic mix of influences. We were backing uh, people on television, backing uh, artists on stage. Uh, we even backed artists from India, professional playback singers there who came to Singapore. We were also backing them when I was in my late teens. We had a funny thing about ourselves. Every time we, we took a song, we will play it like the original and then we will not play it like the original. We will say, look, maybe we can do this like this, you know. From that age, we were always kind of remixing the songs from the beginning. Some producers didn't like it. They said like, hello, can you just stick to the original, you know, don't do this. But we were always going on and that probably drove us to one day say, why can't we just do our own thing? By the time he was 21, Rafi had his heart set on becoming a full-time musician. Despite sharing and encouraging Rafi's love for music, his father found this decision hard to accept. My father was kind enough to, when I was 16, 17 years old, he bought me a Gibson Les Paul, which is today will cost about $7,000. At that time, it cost about $1,500 in sing. So he gave me a guitar, which I, I, I still have it with me. So one day I had a fight with him and I told him, look, I want to play music full time. He said, you better don't do that, okay? You can't do this, you've got to carry on your studies and go to work and do this and all that. I said, if you don't let me, I'll throw this guitar from the fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> like we always had this this fight with each other, but uh, but eventually I didn't throw the guitar. He let me play. <laughs> what he really wanted to play was original fusion music that could stand on its own without being tied to the movies. And in 1986, he got a chance to do just that, thanks to Reggie Vargis, the legendary lead guitarist of the Quests, which had been the reigning English language Singapore band of the 1960s. By the 1980s, Reggie had become a well-known producer. I was introduced to him by another gentleman who was a guitarist. He played with the Singapore swing, Joe Ranjan. Older people will know who he is. He's a very good guitarist, Joe Ranjan. And he asked me one day, do, do I have any demos? I, I would like to introduce you to Reggie. I said, yeah, okay, we can do something. 
what they came up with was a song titled Nilave, which means moon. Nilave, Puchudava, Yenodava, Padala. is our first composition and that's what we did and showed as a demo to Rajiv Verghese. If you go back to 1986 and listen to any Tamil song you can get hold of, none of them will sound like this. So when Rajiv heard it, he said he never heard an Indian song being played that way. So we were playing a lot of fusion stuff. Indian melody, but arrangement, everything was fusion. So when Rajiv heard it, he said, wow, well, a bit different. So he invited us to his studio and he proposed that he'll produce the album for me. Then he told me, my one, one of my ambition was that to produce one nice uh, Indian or Tamil album from Singapore. He said, because I've produced so many Chinese albums and English albums. Reggie took on the course of producing Rafi's album himself, and they were all very happy with the final product. Unfortunately, listeners in Singapore and India were not quite ready for this fusion sound. We took the album and went to a lot of shops in Singapore and to some little, little clubs, Indian clubs, and played. Nobody understood what we were playing. We were very modern sounding. The recording was done in his custom-made studio, so you could hear the depth of the recording, which was normally not there in the Indian-made recordings in cinema, because they had different bandwidth, and they were focusing on more the vocals for the heroes, and uh, everything else was compressed, you know. Whereas we had technology that made it sound very good. So when people heard the snares and the bass and the kick drums, they said, this, one, this sounds like a Western song. The flavor is suddenly like, it's, hey, it doesn't sound like an Indian song. It was very difficult for us to convince them. I said, this is how it should be. You know, when you go out of the box and show people something, people take some time to receive that, you know. I was young in my late 20s, 27. I was like, I was firing up to do things and... I realized it didn't go. Then we went to India. India was the same thing. We went right top to Bombay. They wanted the product, but they didn't know where to field it because it didn't sound like a cinema song. It didn't have the flavor of cinema songs, but it had something very different, which is very pop, very fusion. But they'd say, we don't even have an album culture in India. We don't know how to release this album. The only other private albums were devotional albums. This album was never released, Still, the experience was not a total loss. Rafi was able to work with an icon of Singapore pop, and he learned a lot. Raji was an inspiration. You see, nobody comes up to you and says, I'll produce an album. You know, I mean, it's very rare. He's very disciplined when it comes to music. Uh, he can be a very different character when he's out of the studio. He's very jovial, and you know, he's, he's playful and that kind of stuff. But inside the studio, he's very, very disciplined can be very serious, and he's got a great ear for tuning. He can be miles away and suddenly off-pitch somewhere in a guitar or something, he'll come in and say, do that line again. I learned all that from him. Over the next few years, Rafi fine-tuned his approach to music making, trying to find a balance between commercial appeal and staying true to his creative instincts. I realised that being in Singapore, 
against a crowd that's so, 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 so influenced by music from the Indian films. We have to understand there are no local music, no bands, no nothing. Everything they hear and they pay homage to is Indian film songs. So I told myself, if I'm going to do this jazz fusion thing, I will probably fail and probably have no jobs and nobody will ask me to play again because they want to hear what's popular. So in that 10 years, we took some of the songs that were signature that reflected who we were as Singaporean musicians and the rest of it we played to the pulses of the crowd. So we made something as close as to the original cinema songs but not not too close. So that paid off. Lah. That paid off until today because all the songs people love from the 90s, from both my albums, but there are two or three particular songs that they keep on playing on the radio until today. These hits include Karupai, which means dark beauty, and Mandiram Vachaye, which means you cast a spell on me. The 1990s also saw Rafi venturing into the film industries in India. Because, see, my contemporaries, those around me, my friends, most of them moved. The Malay guys went to Malaysia. The Chinese guys went to Hong Kong and Taiwan. We were all together as musicians at one time, friends, you know. So we had to make decisions like that. So I said, no, I will go to India and work, and I want to work with the best guy around. So I said I will work with Raman. I knew him, so I gave him a call. I said, I want to come to India and start working there. So I started work with him. Music director A.R. Rahman is one of the towering figures of Indian cinema music, and he is known for his use of technology and for blending diverse styles. Through his film songs, audiences became receptive to the fusion sound that Rafi had always believed in. During his years in India, Rafi worked as a music director, arranger, musician, and vocalist for feature films. The songs that I programmed for Rahman, it was well received. And I think the budding youngsters who came after him, they have heard this song, they followed, and they recognized that it was my work. Younger musicians who became composers eventually told me, Sir, you know that song? I know you programmed it. We like that song. So I think it might not be a majority public known fact, but the musicians in the industry know what we have done. So in that way, we have left an impact. The resources and exposure of this highly developed industry definitely helped him to grow as a musician. But Rafi's true passion remains music that is created for its own sake rather than songs meant to support a movie. The film music thing, because of its glamour, you know, the heroes, the heroines, and it's about make-believe, it's about escape. Cinema is not supposed to be real, it's supposed to be fantasy. So in that fantasy, music also became very fantasy, you know. It's not, it's not music made for a band. So all that creativity is something very, very unique to film music. For Shabir, this unique creativity can be freeing. He launched his professional career in 2005 when he won the Singapore TV singing competition, Vasantham Star. Since then, he has made his foray into the Indian movies as an actor, singer and composer. Tamil songs, the format is a lot more egalitarian in that sense. It's not like very strict. Like you can have an interlude in a pop song which can go on for 16 bars probably. And you can have like an outro and, and it's very normal because thanks to, you know, MS Vishwanathan and A.R. Rahman and Ilya Raja who have kind of set the sound and the form, you know, they've kind of made it normal for people to listen to all this. Both limits and the process of liberating yourself sometimes through those limits, both are very important to the process of creating, especially in a commission space. 
when you're commissioned to do something because it's not just about you and your music but you have a message or a story to support. Shabir is the first foreign artist who has composed scores and songs for eight Indian movies. And he believes the reason he has been able to build this momentum in a highly competitive industry has everything to do with the diverse soundscape of Singapore. I grew up listening to Air Rahman and I could say that the combination of Rahman and Kitaro and you know a couple of other like Linkin Park uh, these are the reasons why I'm doing music today because as a kid and as a teenager those sounds kind of uh, entered my system and they created a very interesting effect inside me in some ways like whenever I sit down to create maybe I'm trying to reprise those feelings that I had as a 10 year old as a 12 year old as a 15 year old when I'm producing music, I'm trying to feel those feelings again through my music. As a teenager, he joined a band called Concept that became very important to his musical development. We were like really eclectic and I think we were genre fluid in that sense. And the artist that I developed to become has got a lot of a connection to those early stages of my band and how we interpreted songs. We came from different walks of life, like there was someone who was like a metal head and he was on the guitar and then there was someone else who was listening to Incubus and he was on the drums. And then we had another, like a rapper come DJ who, you know, introduced us to Executionist, you know, and uh, Wu-Tang Clan and all that and he was on the turntables. We will try to find a way to like infuse South Asian stuff with like the Linkin Park elements and we'll try to come up with a new sound, write our own verses and all that. I was the first um, film composer when I went to Hollywood, you know, Tamil cinema. I was the only one who probably used an Erhu to kind of score a background score for a Tamil film. Because I'm from Singapore, I'm from Southeast Asia, you see, and I'm Tamil and I have grown up listening to the Erhu and the Tongran and the Kutsang and all these instruments and the Anarabana, Iburubana, you know. I'm just trying to be truthful to myself because I really vibe with these instruments and they have a sense of like familiarity and they give me a sense of comfort. And when I bring it into my score in like Tamil cinema, I just feel like I am doing the right thing. Yeah, so that's why I do it. Even as he carves out a place for his sound in Indian cinema, Shabir is also exploring new ways to get his music heard. For instance, in 2019, he wrote the song Yayum, which means My Mother, for a Tamil movie saga. To distribute it, he worked with a label called Think Music India, which promoted the song to radio stations and also released it on YouTube with great success. The current situation in India, which is a little bit sad, is that radio stations do not play independent songs. There's only one radio station called Fever. They are the only ones who play a lot of indie songs. But the rest of the radio stations, the requirement for them to play a song is that it must be a film song. And the reason why Yayum also became very popular is because they played it in a lot of like radio stations. People come look for it in YouTube. So if it was indie, then we would not have that opportunity and would have just been the organic YouTube views. So marketing original music with no ties to the movies is still a challenge. And Shabir is championing such independent music wherever he can. In 2020, he became a judge for a TV singing contest in Singapore called Yar and the Star which means who is the next star. In Yar and the Star, when they told me to perform, I sang my own songs. And one song was, of course, Yayu Metal, which is very popular. But the other song was Ai Rei, which uh, became a very good indie hit. And it was uh, 
in this year's uh, Fever FM specially curated playlist for World Music Day and it was the only Tamil song in the 10 songs that they selected. I was the only artist from Singapore to represent in the playlist. So I performed that song in Yarn the Star and I just wanted to mark, you know, a, a moment of Tamil independent music in the show uh, through that performance as well. We keep talking till like seven in the morning Round the clock given an apple I'm drowning Oh Mary Mohabbat I really know we're vibing Very I think that song is very much representative of me because uh, the rag that I chose, Ritigala, which is one of my favorite rags, the very romantic rag. I'm a sucker for like anything that is like romantic and stuff. I may not be romantic in person, but I like the concept of being romantic and all that. And maybe what I'm not able to do in person, I try to express that through my songs. Ayre was like written for my muse, someone who does not exist, but it's an imaginary energy which I use for inspiration. So something so, I don't know, fairly abstract, I kind of put it into an indie pop song. And I think that's something that I would like want to do all the time. Like take these ideas that reside in the plane of abstraction and put them into what I call indie pop, package it and make everyone listen to it and still don't tell the story explicitly. What is it about? They think that's a love song you know, for a girl, but it's not. So I like doing that kind of stuff. So I think IRA is like something that represents that. And also in terms of like, um, technically speaking, like production wise, how the fusion that you hear in it of um, all the beats, things that are kind of like the synthesis and all the electronic elements melding with Indian classical elements with the violin and all that. Uh, I, that's also very much me. While the fusion style of Ayilei may find a warm welcome in Indian movies these days, perhaps its abstract theme would still be an odd fit for a movie soundtrack. After all, film songs tend to support pretty concrete and usually mainstream narratives. And that's yet another reason music makers might prefer the relative creative freedom of working outside this framework. Take singer-songwriter Sudashni who is inspired by everyone from American hip-hop stars to her very own music-loving mother. So the kind of music I listened to growing up, I would say it's quite a range in terms of Indian music and at the same time, a lot of R&B and hip-hop uh, in my teenage years. In the early 2000s, maybe Mariah Carey, uh, Mary J. Bly, Jay-Z, Kanye West. My mom is, I would say, uh, the biggest inspiration for me. She loved a lot of 60s slow melodies, Indian music. So it's classic hits. So I was exposed to such classic songs at a very young age. When she sings, right, she loves to sing over an actual track. So she used a voice recorder and she would record herself and sing all the 60s songs and then she would like to listen to herself. So I think that was her way of enjoying music. So I would love to do whatever my mom does. So I just follow her and I'll sing with her. And that's how we became a singing family. In 2010, she started putting out music online. Over these 10 years, a lot of things happened actually. First of all, I'm exposed to YouTube. 
a space that is of my own. I can do whatever I want and I can garner audience through social media. So that was, I would say, a blessing to me because um, a lot of artists need that. Back in the days, they didn't really have a platform to showcase their music. The only platform was radio. The only platform was television. But right now, there's a lot of different options and choices people are going for. So that's allowing me to try to engage with my fellow listeners and audience to improve myself and try to create a hit song. So it's not impossible, I would say, to put your music out there and for someone to appreciate it as compared to back in the days. The competition with the Tamil film industry is still there, but we are slowly breaking that mindset. In 2011, Sudarshini took part in Vasantam Star and won this competition. Her first move was to record an album that featured original songs that she wrote herself. I really wanted to give a different perspective to music in the industry because, first of all, Vasanam Star, right? Previously, the winners were all male winners. Uh, I was the first ever female Vasanam Star, so that was itself a privilege to me because I was like thinking, oh my God, if I'm the first ever female Vasanam Star, I think I should use this platform to contribute as much as I can because everyone's eyeballs will be on you, right? So that's one thing I wanted to do, like create a full-fledged album because no other females really came forward to do that. I wanted to be the first to do whatever that I could to contribute. I think my songwriting style, I would describe it to be something that is a fusion. You can see a little bit of R&B everywhere. <laughs> Somehow, I would just try to infuse that. Or I would do something that is very different from the general normal music. My songs will have messages. My song will not just have a, okay, it's a love song. or okay, it's, um, it's a breakup song. My song will definitely have a message. Like, I think one of the recent songs that I did was something to do with dark skin girls like dusky skin girls that I wanted to create a song about how even in the film industry in India a lot of people like to cast actresses who are very much fair in their um, complexion even though in general the population right we do not really have a lot of fair skin girls the dusky skin girls are Tamil girls you know what I mean but they always get North Indian girls to represent Tamil girls in films so I wanted to highlight that like what is the need to have you know a very fair skin like what, why do you need to not embrace your own self you know so I create that kind of songs that will probably be completely different from the general songs so my song messages will be totally different so if anyone were to listen to it they'll be like oh that is a Sudarshini song because uh, it's completely directing to a specific Topic. Her work also has a distinct sense of humour. For example, she has written songs by curating the negative comments on her social media channels. It's actually inspired by a YouTuber in USA. She does a lot of songs like this. But no one has ever in the Asian industry, right? We don't really like step up and talk to haters. We'd be like, okay, you know what? Let me, as an artist, let me just step aside, step away. I don't really address those issues. If not, it will cause controversies. We do not want all of that. So nobody has ever done that before in the Indian industry at all. So I thought, why not create songs out of haters who comment interesting things to you. So that itself was like a bold move that I never thought that I would ever do. But the process was a little bit strange and interesting because the comments are not really nice, right? So uh, coming up with the song itself was like, my melody will be like very uh, lovely. It's like a love song medley. So it's like when you listen to the tune, you you would want to like, you know, be happy. But that will be uh, backing up to a lyric that is very mean. <laughs> so so it was actually challenging for me to do that. I was trying to scroll through all the mean comments that I received over the years to see what rhymes with 
this bad word. So I was like, whoa, okay, this is depressing because I'm actually going through a lot of different hate comments at the same time, which I feel like it's very intentional to get my attention. So I didn't really get so affected, but I was like laughing and creating this throughout. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't really expect the response to be huge and massive, to be very honest. I thought, okay, it's just another entertainment video I'm going to put out there. But it was so massive that it was very, very overwhelming for me. And then it got a lot of attention from the news. So many people reached out to me to say that I inspired them, especially those who are cyberbullied. So I really felt that, okay, this was contributing in a very positive manner. And recently, she released the song Talavali, which means headache. That song is like a breakup song But usually when people break up, they are sad Or maybe they are like disappointed But mine is more like a psycho <laughs> version of that song It's something that's in you You would not show it to someone else So I express it through music It's like a revenge song So when people watch it, it's like Okay, that's my inner voice speaking to myself from questioning conventional notions of female beauty to putting her own twists on breakup songs, Sudarshini shows that not engaging with the constraints of Indian film music can lead to a whole new universe of creative expression. And approaching music in this way doesn't mean that leveraging on the power of the movies is out of the question. In fact, Sudarshini's own brush with Indian cinema happened because she decided to form an all-girl band, which was something missing in the Indian music scene. Her group, which was formed in 2015, is named Girls Empower. Because in the band scene, you see a lot of different bands, right, that involves all men, probably one woman on an instrument. So I told myself, why can't there be all women when I turn around, when I'm singing, when I turn around to communicate, why can't it be all women? Why does it have to be just one woman in an all-boy band, right? So I wanted to create that. And it was not easy because women in general are more reserved, I, I believe. Like, I, I don't want to really put the stigma out there, but that's what I think when it comes to the music scene. They're more shy because of the male-dominant situation. So I really had a hard time trying to put the band together to audition to see who can make a good team player. So I had this player who is Jamuna. She's still the best that I ever have, actually. So she used to play with Rafi Sir's band, many different bands as a guitarist. So that's how it started. From there on, I started going online. I started asking my other bandmates, asking them, OK, can you like uh, introduce to me someone who can play the guitar, someone who can play the bass? One of the biggest things that we ever did was to collaborate with India musicians. Basically, this was like a famous actor. His wife is also a famous actress who came up with this all-women movie. So it's like a very female-centric movie. And then they were looking for an all-girl band to do a reprised version of an existing male song. So the music director, Gibran from India, approached me to say, um, I know you have a girl band. Would you be interested to get them on board to do this reprised official song for us? And we will put this song on our YouTube channel. So I was thinking, whoa, this is something big uh, for a brand new girl band. So that was a very big opportunity. The movie's name is Magalir Matum and the actor is Surya and the actress is Jyotika. They are really very supportive because seeing an all-girl band, especially the Indian scene, I don't think I've even seen one in India itself, like in Chennai itself, yes. That's the reason why they reached out to us. The movies are still a very powerful platform for music makers. 
So if the chance to create film song comes along, Sudarshini says she is going to treasure it. I mean, every opportunity is golden to me. So if that happens, that's also a very good exposure that will allow people to listen to me even more naturally without me trying to promote myself heavily. So that's a very good platform. But I do not want to set my mind that that is the only platform. Now that I have a good social media platform, my next goal would be to make independent music a breeze. Like whatever independent music that I do or I create or my fellow peers create, it should be something that is like as equivalent to Tamil music that comes from the film industry. So I think that is my next goal, like to make that a norm. Right now, it's developing, but I think I really want that to be almost like, hey, there's a good song. Uh, she has released a new song. Let's listen to it. You know, I want that to be a very normal thing for everyone to absorb new music. Beyond that, she also hopes that the larger environment for Singapore pop will continue to improve. Working with musicians in India helped her realise that there is still a long way to go. I think, first of all, the time we take to record a track, that makes a lot of difference. Like in Singapore, everyone is very busy. Even if we are a full-time musician, we do not really give that many hours to a track. But for them, right, they will go five to six hours to record just one song. And even that is bare minimum because the perfection they would want to get, right, they will go all uh, beyond and above everything to get the perfection. So I think the intensity is a lot more there because they are very much involved in music and that's their full-time career. So they will spend a lot of time trying to perfect the craft. Shabir also points to the need for a shift in the way artists and art making are perceived here. The problem with our society is that, you know, we're so work oriented and art can only be created when there's space, you see. And we are so like boxed up in our mentality of what success should be. But people don't understand that doing what you love to do and being at peace, that can be actually very rewarding and that can be called success too. We have to have an education system which is forgiving, which embraces authenticity and individualism. And only if you do all these things, you're going to have artists of the future. Currently, the world is a lot more open and we can cross and collaborate. We can release songs on like streaming platforms, which has become a lot more easier. The digital economy is booming. And, you know, there's always disruption, which means there's always opportunity, new opportunities, right? So there are a lot of things to be excited about. But the thing is, if you do not have a society and culture which supports artists or, or normalizes being an artist, then it's very difficult no matter what we do, no matter how many grants we give or you know how much we try to support, it's going to be extremely challenging for us to see a steady stream of artists emerging out of the communities. But no matter what obstacles they face, Rafi believes that the creators of today's Singapore pop have to remind themselves to keep going. You've got to sustain it. Whatever you do, I always tell them, follow your passion. I mean, it's going to be tough, but give yourself that, that time and that space, you know, and go for it. You love it. You think it's the best thing you can do. Go. Be creative. Think out of the box. When the opportunity arises, you must shine. Homegrown bands playing English-language pop shone brightly in Singapore in the 1960s. But things changed in the 1970s as government policies and social perceptions shifted. In the next episode, we'll find out how the music makers from that early golden age created a scene, sustained their love for local music and helped Singapore pop to come alive again. Pop Law, Stories of Singapore Pop is produced by Esplanade, Theatres on the Bay, 
Singapore's National Performing Arts Centre, in celebration of its 20th anniversary. Look out for more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To listen to more of the songs mentioned in this podcast, check out our music playlist on esplanade.com slash offstage.